Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment and talk about the sober curious, non-alcoholic beverage alternative movement or revolution that is becoming more and more seen in the mainstream. Although the idea of dry January or sober curious isn't new, it's been around since 2012. These days, there's more awareness around the dangers of drinking and folks wanting an alternative to alcohol, to the point where the alcohol industry is taking notice. Based on a report by Nielsen, between August 2021 and August 2022, total sales of non-alcoholic drinks in the U.S. was $395 million. In 2024, it is predicted that an increase in NA beverages such as beer, wine, and spirits without alcohol will be up by 24%. Even celebrities are joining this trend, such as Blake Lively and Katy Perry, who are creating non-alcoholic beverages of their own. Why is this happening now? Well, in the next three episodes, you will hear some personal stories why drinking behaviors are changing. I'll be interviewing people who question their relationship with alcohol and how this process impacted their lives. Take a listen. Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back to episode 37. Growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, my next guest, Jensen Morgan, was a member of the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known Mormon, until they were 16 years old. Unsurprisingly, in Mormon culture, alcohol is demonized. It goes against Mormon values to consume alcohol under any circumstances, and people who drink were viewed quite negatively. Jensen developed a sincere fear of alcohol that was reinforced not only by their religion, but also by their mother. Eventually, they broke out of the initial perception of alcohol and learned to ask their own questions about what healthy and unhealthy relationships with alcohol might look like. Fast forward to 2023, Jensen has had significant ups and downs in their relationship with alcohol. They still drink, but now with a lot more intention, regular breaks, and self-care. Jensen views alcohol as a drug that they use for celebration, play, and release, but works very hard to avoid patterns of abusing alcohol as a coping mechanism as they and their current partner have done in the past. Take a listen. So hi, Jensen. Thank you for coming on my podcast. Let's dive right in. Yeah, nice nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So when you were growing up, what were the beliefs around alcohol? So I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and I grew up very LDS, Latter-day Saints, um, which most people call Mormon. Right, um, right. And so I grew up very much taught to view alcohol as a sin, as evil, as the devil, um, as something to be afraid of. Um, but to be honest, there wasn't in kind of in tandem with that, there wasn't a lot of education around what alcohol actually was, right? It's not like they were teaching us the science of alcohol, sure. um, how it affects the body. It was just this blanket of like, this is evil. Don't do it. Um, and so, yeah, that was very much my experience growing up this, mm-hmm. um, kind of evil thing in the distance that I never quite understood. Okay. And so growing up, how did those beliefs shift and what happened? 
Yeah. So I was about 16 years old um, when I chose to kind of leave the church and have not been religious since then. Um, and that really was for me a big launch pad into questioning, obviously, all sorts of things. I was sure. questioning right. what is my relationship with the world? Am I atheist? Mm-hmm. Am I agnostic? Am I spiritual? Am I religious? Am I, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think in that journey, you come to question everything around you. You question, mm-hmm. you know, because Mormon culture and many religions, I think, um, paint a picture of how your life is supposed to look in almost every facet of it, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships or business or life or career, right? Mm-hmm. So then all of that is thrown into question. And one of those things that really became a question for me over time was what are drugs and more specifically, what is alcohol and how do I relate to this substance? Right. Um, and so that was something that took me a long time and a lot of ups and downs to figure out like, what is my relationship with this thing? So describe a little bit about those ups and downs and kind of where you've arrived now. Yeah, definitely. Um, Now I think it is something that I use very much as a drug and see it as a drug in a very intentional way. Um, I would say that there was a long period of time where I avoided it um, because I was still, it was still very fear-based for me, but I didn't have any relationship with it. It was just this thing that I still avoided. Um, and then I would say it was really kind of actually after my undergraduate degree, I was an RA and I I think to some degree, you know, I I certainly became an RA because I needed the money, but I think also in a way it was this easy cover of like, I don't have to really deal with alcohol because I'm not allowed to drink because I'm the RA. Mm -hmm. Um, and I became this enforcer of not drinking. Um, and then finished my undergraduate kind of was out in the world going, working, doing whatever I was doing. Eventually, I ended up going to grad school and was going to grad school with a lot of other people who drank way more than me um, and was living in Colorado, which when you think about drinking culture in Utah versus Colorado, there's a huge difference there. Sure. And suddenly, my like social life began, began to completely revolve around alcohol, and I found myself drinking way more than I had ever drank before. Um, and at first, it was really fun. Sure. Um, and I was really enjoying myself and was connecting with people in a different way. And, um, but then, you know, without meaning to just, it's kind of like the frog boiling in the pot, right? It's the slow change that, that starts to happen and you don't notice it. I just was drinking probably three or four nights a week, not necessarily heavily every night, but certainly heavily at least once a week. Um, and my body was also undergoing a ton of stress with grad school. And so by the time I finished right at the end of my grad school experience, my whole digestion, digestive system was completely thrown out of whack. And I didn't know what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought at first it was alcohol. So I cut that out completely for a time, still was having digestive problems, cut out certain foods. Like I was like testing different foods, nothing was seeming to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually um, actually went on a trip to Europe and it was only like two weeks long. But I think the, the fact that I was not drinking very much I was eating pretty healthy and I wasn't stressed, allowed my whole system to just reset. Um, And I came back and was able to drink again and eat things, kind of slowly reintroduce that. Um, But since then, I've realized that it was a combo of stress and alcohol that totally just wrecked havoc on my body. Mm -hmm. Going back a little bit, when you stopped drinking, what was that like for you? 
uh, yeah, so when I stopped drinking temporarily mm-hmm. right after grad school, I was probably about 27, mm-hmm. 27 years old. Um, and so very much still in my 20s, and my friend group was still, you know, even, not even just the people in grad school, but all my friends were still very much in alcohol culture. Right. And so, right. yeah, I would say... It, if I had been more in my younger 20s, I think I would have gotten a lot more direct, like teasing or even bullying around that. Sure. I think it was a lot more of like people being uncomfortable. Like, you know, when you're in your older 20s, early 30s, I think people kind of avoid it. They're like, oh, you don't drink, you know, and like there's like a question? lot of labels. Yeah, yeah. Like, why? You know, always why. It's never like, oh, you don't drink? Oh, awesome. Good for Here's you. Awesome. Yeah, it's never that response. It's always. Why? What's going on? What's wrong with you? Are you, you know, okay? There's an assumption of some, yeah, are you okay? There's something that's wrong with you, obviously, if you don't want to drink. So that was an interesting experience. And how did that affect kind of what you were doing um, in your life at that point? Because you weren't, did you feel more healthy? What were some of the benefits you were getting from that? Well, <laughs> you know, and, and I'll share a little more later of, of a second time where I had to stop drinking. I feel like the first time I didn't experience this like clarity because my body was still in kind of this trauma- traumatized Distressed. space, stress and alcohol. Sure. And so honestly, it was even though I didn't drink almost at all, except it very, very occasionally for like probably six months, mm-hmm. my body was still in distress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I did start drinking again, my body kind of healed. It, it was very slow to, to drink a lot. Um, and I was much more intentional with when I was drinking and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I would say I didn't feel this like relief or this clarity that first time, but that wasn't really alcohol related. It was more of just my body was in a healing process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then tell me about the second time. The second time was, I think, more gnarly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the second time was more gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that came from because it had happened once. I was like, oh my God, this is happening again. Why is this happening again? What's actually causing this? Because the first time I I wasn't really sure if it was the alcohol or you know what was the cause, right? And and again, I think it was the combination of stress and then stress leading to a lot more drinking. I was also dating somebody who drank a lot more than me mm-hmm. um, and was much more comfortable in alcohol, alcohol culture than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was enjoying and joining her in that um and then i just definitely could not keep up (laughs) um and and that was true not just of her but of many of my friends um and so even then i would still many times be trying to pull myself back and not drink as hard i was also super lightweight obviously Mm because i had not been used to drinking as much as everyone else and so i feel like i was either like pretty restricting myself and like really trying to control like mm-hmm. not always in a healthy way like kind of a fearful way or I was just like way over drinking so quickly because it was such a lightweight um and that again totally wrecked havoc on my system this time I think because it had happened again I was like all right I think it's alcohol and stress related how do we mm-hmm. really be intentional about pulling that back um and I ended up actually totally stopping drinking almost completely, you know, maybe once a month or something, I'd have something to test and see how my body would respond, Mm -hmm. but basically nothing, um, was starting to eat way healthier, starting to exercise. And now is the time I really felt like, whoa, like Mm -hmm. this is 
I just feel so much better, so much more clear, so much clarity. I was also starting my business at the time. And so I think I was needing that extra energy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I could not handle having that lethargic hangover experience. And, and I was definitely in a space of when I had been drinking before that, you know, I'm a little older now and it takes me two to three days from a mental health standpoint to really clear the waters there. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's struggled with anxiety a lot in my life, I've definitely noticed that um, there is this healthy kind of band of frequency and volume of drinking where I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a positive thing. And then and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be like a ton of alcohol, but it's like maybe maybe I've drank three nights in a row. I will mm-hmm. just notice that my anxiety will start to like tick up. Um, and I can like almost always pinpoint, you know, okay, nothing in my life has changed, but I can tell my chemicals and my hormones are way off. Mm -hmm. This has got to be the only thing that's changed is I've drank three nights in a row. Right. Um, and so I think I've been really in this like space of like testing all these boundaries and then finding like, where's that healthy band for me? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think where I've landed now is, you know, I maybe can have one or two drinks um, one or two nights a week um, and if I start going beyond that any at all regularly I start to get way out of whack and then I have to pull back and not drink for like a week or two to kind of mm-hmm. get back to that healthy place I think this is such a, a unique and maybe it's not as unique maybe it's actually more common and not discussed as much that's why I love speaking with you because it's such a thoughtful thing. It's not just questioning to drink or not, but how to do it, not just responsibly, not like driving and drinking, right? You're not going to do that. But it's more about how is that healthy band? I like how you say that, that healthy band, and kind of testing that out. Tell me more a little bit about that mindset. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, something that popped in my head was even thinking about my own, my partner, um, who, who I think her healthy band, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the only person who knows what their healthy band is themselves. Sure. Right. Um, but just from observation, I feel like she can drink more than me and it still be healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, um, that, that journey that people have to go on to figure out what that is. And I think for some people that band is zero. Right. right. Like some Absolutely. people cannot, cannot drink. do it or they die. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, viewing it as a drug and understanding how that drug of alcohol affects you and how you choose in or out of that is, is really what that healthy journey could look like, but it's so personal, you know, and it's so individual. And, and I think that's the part of this dysfunction of alcohol culture is instead of encouraging people to really figure out, what their individual personalized relationship with alcohol is. We just decide what good or bad alcohol culture is, whether it's the extreme of Mormonism of like all alcohol right. is evil, but we're never <laughs> going to learn about it or talk about what it actually means from a scientific or biological perspective, or, you know, drink three or four nights a week, blackout drunk, and that's okay and very normalized, which I've been a part of that culture as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that drinking is a, it's like a spectrum, Right. Just kind of like everything in life. It's not just like different shades of gray. And, you know, when saying healthy drinking, some people will go, well, there's no such thing. Either you do it or you don't. 
Um, and now there's this movement of sober curiosity and movement of non-alcoholic beverages and like in wine, beer, or spirits. And some bars are popping up and sober in the city. And so there's this huge movement. Talk to me a little bit about what are your thoughts about sober curiosity these days? Yeah, I mean, I think that more people asking questions about what they want their relationship with alcohol to be is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some people are calling it sober curious. I'm sure there are other names people are talking about, but at the end of the day, people being curious about what feeling healthy looks like when it comes to alcohol. I think we need more people to do that. And I think one of the things I hope for with the sober curious movement is that we stop as a culture and that's a very broad thing to say, but we stop, as a culture and society deciding how people should be interacting with alcohol and even more importantly having our social connection time revolve around alcohol Mm -hmm. rather than it being something that can or cannot be included and um again my partner she can consume more alcohol than me and there was a period in our relationship where I experienced her having a pretty unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And she has really since worked on that pretty heavily um, and has grown a lot and I think has a much healthier relationship with it. Um, And for a period of time for her, that was about a year actually of being sober. Uh Um, Uh And now she drinks again. And and one of the things I see, like coming back to this conversation around like social interactions Mm -hmm. and sober curious, um, she will... Just say, okay, tonight I'm just drinking N.A., you know, and she'll get an N.A. beer mm-hmm. or, you know, um, and, and sometimes that's because she's D.D. Sometimes it's actually that she's not. She just is like, I just need to take a break today. Sure. Um, so I think that is is what I hope more of is that people stop thinking that it has to always be either or or like total polarities. It's like you can be in this oscillation of listening to your body and what you need that night. I think that's that's more common than most people are speaking about because what we hear nowadays is the ills of drinking. There's much more research on on that, but also there's a population and a generation of folks who are wanting a healthier you know, lifestyle or alternative. And it's actually cheaper too, not to be heavily drinking. I mean, you know, unless it's cheaper. Right. <laughs> way. Um, but here's a gap. And I'm just curious about your thoughts about this too, is the social aspect and there's some pressure, but, and you're in, in, in Colorado. Yes. You're still there in yes. Colorado. Yep. Okay. Yep. The, so the, the alcohol centric part of the state probably hasn't changed that much. True. Okay. Right. But what's different is kind of your association with that culture, your different view and relationship with alcohol from a mental health and a wellness standpoint, it sounds like. So socially, what kind of things um, do folks like you who want to actually drink less and then choose not to, what, what different things have you found to be fun or more challenging because of that, those choices? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a couple layers. I think the first layer is my friends have become more educated on what I want and where I stand as I've set harder boundaries. And I think uh-huh. at first people never thought about that um, and would be surprised or, again, would ask me why or 
would tease me or whatever. And I think, <laughs> I think after a while they just gave up <laughs> and they realized like, okay, this is just how Jensen is. And, and I think there are also times where I was vulnerable and honest about like how it was pretty unhealthy for me to drink at that same level that they were. Mm-hmm. And I think over time they just accepted that and are actually now quite supportive of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one layer. I think another layer is honestly educating myself about if I, you know, in, in the new kind of career shift I've made for myself, mm-hmm. I'm now um, a storyteller um, mm-hmm. through video. And so a big part of that has been building up new relationships with clients and m- meeting one-on-one, right? Often the assumption, especially if it's after five, is that we're going to get a beer. Um, and so I've kind of taken on one of two tactics. I've gotten to know which kind of alcohol-focused businesses around here also have great NA options. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might have a really awesome, like, um, there's a great brewery here that has an awesome in-house made root beer. And so I love going there um, because I, I definitely cannot drink beer now. Um, mm-hmm. I can drink alcohol, but I cannot drink beer. I don't know what happened, but my body Said just no. won't process it wow. at all. Ever. Huh. Um, and But but for cons, where I live, is like brewery town. Like, oh, totally. Right? It's like part of the culture. You have to love beer. And I love beer. That's never gone away. But I can't drink it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love this particular brewery because I get to be part of the experience, the ritual of going and getting a drink. And I don't feel left out. And I don't have to drink beer. Um, so I think that's another layer is like learning your local um, restaurants and honestly tea shops. That's actually the number one thing I love doing is recommending we go to a coffee shop or tea shop. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I think it's also changing the time. Like, um, I think I have naturally gravitated to more like morning kind of breakfast or lunch meetings. I, I, this is not uh-huh. even something I've done consciously, but I think I've just subconsciously gravitated to that more because then I don't have to worry about, am I going to have to drink in the evening? If that makes sense. Oh, I think that's really helpful to hear because there's a lot of people who are listening can most likely relate to your experience because um, a lot of discussions are about how people stay stopped right and that's great for them but there is that middle ground and there's a lot of folks you know kind of doing what you're doing is this kind of reevaluation of what wellness means what and I'm gonna just say is there a way to do healthy drinking and you know, some people will say not at all, but obviously that's not true. There is healthier ways to do things, and sometimes that may mean abstinence, and sometimes that may mean drinking less. Um, and all should be respected, you know, and that's the thing. When we are talking, part of why I wanted to talk to you is to reduce some of that stigma. Like, why are you okay? Well, Jensen isn't drinking, so, you know, he might they might be having some difficulty or, you know, they are having a hard time. Um, But it's always that why, you know, and, and you talked about having those hard conversations of boundaries and hopefully the answer is because I want to. (laughs) You know, and it's kind of helpful to hear that and going like not only externally with people, but maybe in my own inner monologue, like I need to, to write a new script for myself in a way of like, that can be my response. Cause I, I think there is almost always that response of why what's wrong. And then you naturally get defensive of trying to justify 
instead of just feeling, I'm just not in the mood right now and there's nothing wrong with that. Like that should be a normal, healthy response. Um, but it is, it is hard to say that for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I think talking more about it, it's like, we get to change the narrative, you know, we really do. And funny enough, some of the statistics about some of the choices you are making is a, a $300 million profit of non-alcoholic choices, beverages, which is increasing by 20%. It's kind of interesting, right? So your choice and others similar minded who are kind of questioning is actually affecting the alcohol industry, believe it or not. I did not know that. That's, that's yes. a pretty powerful statistic. So I'm going to keep saying that out loud because it just reinforces that, you know, people want alternatives, you know, how to have fun. Like for you in your work world, you're like maybe brunch or breakfast and, and lunch meetings as opposed to after work. So there's less pressure. And the the and if there was less pressure, it would probably be more enjoyable and you know, the stigma would be less and people would be more willing to to actually be healthier and do things without feeling that judgment. Um, because it could be so subtle, right? Like, hey, have a glass of soda water with a lime in it and so it looks like you're drinking. You know, it's the only drug where, you know, the FDA haven't approved it and also pushed on people. And now people have to hide it and look like they actually are using this drug and aren't. It's really a wild kind of predicament. Totally. You know, and you're, you're kind of giving me a reminder, actually, of a dream I used to have. Um, which is to open a mocktail bar, which I'm sure they exist. But as somebody who came from a culture mm -hmm. that viewed alcohol as bad, then explored alcohol and came to actually love the ritual of going to get a drink. And of course, for many people, that's about being drunk. And that's certainly a fun experience, depending on who you are. Right. Um, but, but I think for me, over time, what I've come to value even more actually than the experience of being drunk is the ritual of getting a drink, the ritual of sitting somewhere that's a really fun atmosphere, the ritual of being with someone mm. in conversation, of enjoying a nice drink that's not just like a soda, right. but it's something that's been crafted and is kind of artisanal. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's what a cocktail can be. And that's such a fun experience. And I feel like we just need more venues and opportunities out there for people to get that fun experience together that doesn't have to have alcohol included. Right. I mean, I was just having a conversation recently with a bunch of folks and like, where's the gap? Part of it is education. The other is access. And you mentioned a very valuable part, which as humans, we would like to stay connected. Connection is super important. Um, and sitting with an, a non-childlike drink, like, I don't want a 7-Up, okay? You know, I, I'm, we're grown-ups, and we make, you know, money. We have our own businesses and jobs. We should probably not have to feel like we're being, you know, treated like a child or treated like something's wrong. Um, mocktails are great. That actually is where spirits, non-alcohol Spirits are coming up and into different restaurants and all that kind of stuff. So your dream is actually coming to fruition in different parts of the world and different parts of the United States. Is that enough? No. So if you do create that mocktail bar, I think it could be very successful. 
you know, I mean, what other fun things do you, would you like to see happen if you knew you could go in there without a lot of pressure to pretend that you're drinking when you really don't feel like it? So a mocktail bar, an alcohol-free bar, what other things do you think come to mind? That's a great question. Um, I feel like this is already happening, right? But there, it's it's really in my mind, kind of starting to brainstorm. What are all the ways that we've culturally built alcohol into our rituals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I think obviously going to the bar, going to a cocktail bar, is a ritual. Now, my brain is going to what are the others like? You know, um, Super Bowl. You know what all I mean? Right. Or, yeah. You know, spending the day at the park and friends grilling out there, and they love having that super crushable session beer, right? Or mm-hmm. hard seltzer or white claw, right? So how do we identify these rituals, these cultural rituals that people have invested so much positive memories into, or maybe sometimes negative, but many right. positive memories um, for many folks, and then swap them out for something that's just as good or better, mm-hmm. um, that is not alcoholic. I think that would be that would be a way to just provide that alternative option that allows people to still feel part of it. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. in my previous career, I really studied and focused on um, behavior change around the idea of sustainability. Um, wow. And wow. one of the most powerful psychological forces um, in the human kind of species and the human brain is like the desire to feel like we belong. Absolutely. Um, that peer norming, right? And so if we can create NA options that allow people to still belong, um, I think a lot more people are going to choose NA, whether it's for a night or for a month or forever. I don't know, but I think it will be easier. I think that that's really insightful, and um, and hopefully you do one of those things, make one of those events. I think that would be awesome um, because it's all about connection. And if there is someone who's like listening to what you were saying and going, well, that's interesting. I can relate to Jensen's curiosity around kind of what do I want my relationship to be now? And now they are drinking, but more mindfully with intention, understanding about health and wellness around, you know, what is, why do they drink? today versus not tomorrow, that kind of stuff. What would you kind of share with them that you would have found helpful as they kind of explore some of those questions? Hmm. I would say, I think anytime you're trying to move in a new direction from a habit standpoint, that's pretty challenging. Um, I think I call it the snow, snowball effect. I don't know what it's act. I'm sure there's like a psychological mm-hmm. term for it, but I call it the snowball effect, um, which is just trying it out in the smallest amount in a way that you notice your brain is like excited about it. Mm-hmm. And so rather than saying like, all right, I'm going to go to this party with my friends and I'm not going to drink alcohol. And then I'm going to, I'm kind of nervous because I know people are going to say something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. blah, 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 right? You go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring a six pack of the beer I normally drink. And I'm going to bring one NA beer. And when I first get there, I'm going to drink that first one NA beer. Um, and I'm going to see how that feels. Does that make sense? It's like, yeah, I'm excited about this one NA beer. Actually, this is a flavor I'm genuinely excited about. I'm curious. I would just drink this. This right. sounds good. So it's that baby step, right? And then you go there and then 
maybe you sit down and you're drinking that first NA beer, you've still got your like safety blanket of the other beers that are there. And then people are like, what is that? I've never seen that brand. And you're like, oh, this is Athletic Brewing's NA thing. It looked delicious. You want to taste it? You know what I mean? Like suddenly you start to feel a little bit safer. So I think the more you can find those like snowballs and then the next time you do it, you can kind of go, okay, what's that like one tiny step more? Okay, now I'm just going to bring a six pack of the NA beer. You know what I mean? I don't know. Oh, I so, like that. I, I mean, being curious in like mini steps doesn't have to be this huge thing. Um, and some of the things that you mentioned too, which I think could be helpful, is having conversations with people that you care about. Mm. Right? Are there party people that are, you know, your party friends? Mm-hmm. Or you're drinking buddies, or you know this one couple, and they do are super foodie, and you know there's a lot of drinking involved. Are there other activities that you could do with that couple that may not be surrounded by that necessarily? Or how do you have these hard conversations? You know, let me, if you don't mind, to go back for a minute where you had these hard conversations. Like, what kind of things would you recommend to share on like how to do that? Or what to I say. Think, I think it can be really helpful um, if it's a particularly, like if it's, I think, it, and this may not be true for everyone, I think it's almost always easier to have that vulnerability one-on-one. And I'm sure that depends on the person. But I think for many folks, that is the case. And so, you know, even if you can have one friend, like maybe you go to this group and there's six friends and they almost always drink when they get together was very much part of the culture of that group getting together. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have one of those friends who you feel really safe with that you can say, hey, I'm really needing to not drink tonight or I'm not needing to drink at all right now. Um, can you kind of support me on this if I get in the group and people are asking me why? Um, I think that gives you just that safe support a little bit so that when people start asking why, you can kind of look over and be like, ah, and then that person hopefully will be like, Hey, just leave them alone. It's fine. Here, right. hand them the right. cocktail. Leave them alone. You know, I think having that safety buddy can also be really helpful. Oh, I love that. You know, for people in recovery, a safety buddy is also very important. So, oh, just sure. like for anybody who doesn't feel safe, I think you brought a really good point. Is safety is pretty important. Where whether safety feels like less shame, or mm-hmm. safety feel may feel less anxiety or safety feels less pressured, like, like, how do I navigate this? Like, how do I look like I'm drinking, but I'm not, you know, that that's, those are very real. And for someone, Jensen, you mentioned anxiety, I bet that was heightened even more when in, in the early times when you were doing this. Um, so you said you are a storyteller. So let me give you a, an image for a second. What would the title be? for someone who is wanting to be healthy, kind of doing what you did, um, and wanted to, to not drink and not experience that pressure. As a storyteller, what would you want that? I don't know if this is even a valid question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Kind of how would you help somebody to tell their story about that? Hmm. Can I ask some clarifying questions? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Making you, it up as I go. <laughs> no, this is great. I love it. Um, so, so are you? You're wanting a an idea or a concept for a story that maybe helps people feel safe to do that, or, or tell me more. Sure. Of like, like if if someone came to you, 
as the person to kind of do this documentary or to help them share this story um, so they feel more empowered. If I said to you, Jensen, what do you think would help capture this this idea of, whether it's sober curious, but to focus more on health and wellness and navigate through an alcohol-free or alcohol-less kind of, of, of approach to things. How would I do that? What questions should I ask myself? Do you see what I mean? There's this kind of almost a metaphor, but also as a storyteller, what would you be curious about to capture? Ooh, yeah, okay, you, you started to get me inspired. So I think it would be fun to come up with like three to four <laughs> questions. Cool. Uh, okay. And you intentionally maybe even go to bars and you set up like a little, you know, white backdrop or black backdrop or something simple, set up a camera uh -huh. um, and you just go ask random people and say, Hey, we're making this documentary. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. only takes five minutes. Would you be down to just answer a couple questions for us? And, whoever comes over, but then you start asking people, maybe, you know, again, you kind of create a story arc with how you'd ask the questions, but you start asking people like, what's your relationship with alcohol? Mm -hmm. uh, do you ever wish that you drank less? Uh -huh. um, is it hard to drink less? What gets in the way of you drinking less? And you maybe leave it that simple. Um, but I think the power of seeing people from, you know, you'd intentionally want a huge diversity of race, ethnicity, Sure. gender, um, LGBTQIA plus. So we start to see like, oh, this isn't like, it's not this group or this group, like this is a human experience. Um, and then being able to hear these very honest, vulnerable responses about how they relate to alcohol. And I think that would help people who go, okay, these are people in a bar that are drinking and are saying that they sometimes feel afraid to say they don't want to drink. I think that wow, would be powerful. That would be very powerful. And, you know, I think people are beginning to ask those really powerful questions. Those are great questions. I wish I asked you those. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fantastic. Um, so I, I really do appreciate you talking about this. Are there other things that you would mention about your own experience around this healthy band of or a healthier look at your relationship with alcohol? Yeah, I think I think the one last thing I would add is that not only do I think every person needs to go on their own individual journey to decide what their relationship with alcohol is and what's healthy and unhealthy for them, which sometimes means swinging a pendulum a little bit and going, ooh, no, not over here. Or, ooh, no, not over, you know what I mean? Right. So I think you have to go on that journey. But I think also not falling into the trap of thinking that that is now fixed um, and I, what I mean by that is that our relationship with alcohol can change over time and be healthy over time. Like there might be a phase in my life where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to drink for like five years, mm -hmm. you know? And there might be a period of time where I'm like, you know what? My stress is super low and um, maybe I can handle more alcohol and feel okay and feel mm -hmm. healthy. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think just giving people permission to let that always be this kind of constantly evolving relationship and always checking back in and going like, where am I at? And how do I feel? And do I need to make tweaks? I love that. So for you in this very moment, how would you describe your relationship with alcohol? Is it that, is it that evolving or now I'll drink a little bit here, but not, you know, not too much. Where are you? Yeah, I think right now I feel healthiest when I drink 
once a week. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Once a week, if I have two to four drinks and I'm eating a lot of food and drinking a good amount of water, um, then I find that I'm okay. Um, and I think when I go more than that, which still happens sometimes, um, I can kind of tell, you know, and I'm like, well, we got to pivot back. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I'm at in the moment. Isn't that nice to have that kind of consciousness and intentional awareness around this stuff? Cause it, cause for many similar to you, it might feel like you have actually more control around kind of, well, you put, you can control what you put in your mouth. You know, for the most, for most people. Um, and I think obviously for you too, it's like, I don't need that in this moment. You know, and I think there's also this, this arc of it must be all of this or none of that. Kind of like in the beginning of our conversation where there's, there's some hard rule, fast idea, ideology, I guess, around like, no, and then yes, and it's never okay to do this, or sometimes okay, but, you know, there is gray, and I think there's a spectrum, and, and, you know, it was great to speak with you to kind of see how your evolution is, and your values around it, and considering it was, you know, pretty demonized at the beginning, I mean, a lot of beliefs, you know, coming from a Mormon background, um, and leaving so young, and navigating that and and being so curious and it 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 leads to well it makes sense you're a storyteller because you get to ask the questions and be curious that similar that you asked yourself so it was great to to talk to you and kind of get your sense about this kind of stuff um and what ideas you thought that could be helpful to help reduce the stigma increase awareness and have a good time is how to reimagine rituals. I think that could be super great, and I hope you get to do some of that too. Um, and I look forward to some of your your next documentaries in the future. Are there new ones coming up? Just just curious for you. Um, not in the near near future. Definitely hoping to to work on some things um, this summer, but but I can't share too much about them. They're still okay. too early. I would say the one that I'm really hoping to do is a few years out, but um, I'm going on actually a, a year-long trip around the world. Oh, my uh, God. That's great. And, yeah, I'm very excited. And and I really want to do – actually, not that different than that concept I shared earlier about kind of ask, interviewing different people about alcohol, uh-huh, but I uh-huh. want to do it around the idea of risking joy. Um, and so what I, I want to do is – um, sit people down from all across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it won't be very long. It'll probably be a five, 15 minute interview somewhere in there, but just ask them like, what is something that you've done in your life that terrified you, but also was something you deeply wanted to do. And then what happened? Um, and just see how that is similar or different in different cultural contexts around the world. So that's kind of a future project I, I want to make happen. Wow, that sounds super fun and exciting for sure. And it'll be interesting what people tell you. Um, well, I appreciate you taking time. And if people are curious about how to talk about this and, and really wants to reach out to you, is there a way that they can do that with you? How to, yeah, how definitely. To contact you? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So feel free to reach out directly to my email, which is riskingjoy33 at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at risking.joy. Um, and then my video production website is 
no surprise, riskingjoyproductions.com. So feel free to reach out to me any of those ways. Wonderful. Well, best wishes on your journey of storytelling. That sounds very exciting with things are coming up and things we don't know yet that will be coming up. Um, but thank you again so much, Jensen, for taking your time. Yeah, thank you. It's been really great chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennen, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennan at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.